right, let's get into our main scripture today. It's going to be found in Judges chapter 6, verses 11, well, actually 11 onward for a bit. Uh, actually reading from the King James Version, because if the King James is good enough for the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, it's good enough for me, right? No, joking around. Uh, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiah's right. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, just one look. There is something about a look that can carry a thousand words. There is something about a gaze that can communicate a myriad of thought. Y'all ever had a mama that would give you a look? Let me tell you something that happened in Dave's life. Dave was about, thir- I was about 13 years old and grew up, we were, my brother and I played music in church, so, so it was a Sunday night service because we had Sunday, y'all ever go to the churches, y'all growing up in churches where you had Sunday morning service and Sunday night service? We had Sunday night service, and then the Pentecostal church, those were the hopping ones because everyone who showed up on Sunday night really wanted to be there, right? So, so you really got to have church. So it was fun as a kid playing music and, and getting into worship and all that. So I came off the drums, and I was, I was older than I was a big kid. Man, I was 13 years old. I didn't have to sit with my mom and dad anymore. So, so usually I'd come off and try to find some of my friends in the youth group. And all of a sudden, there as I was leaving the drums, walking down the side aisle, Tasha Doherty sat there. And, and she had Timmy Parker and, and Billy York sitting beside her. And Tasha Doherty, she's one of the cute girls in the, in the youth group. And so she patted the seat, the pew right beside her and said, Dave, come here and sit by me. And Tasha Doherty was asking Dave to sit. So 13-year-old Dave slips in there and sits down, and she starts passing me notes. Now, you got to understand, Joyce Butler, Mama Butler, had a, had a policy. You are not going to pass no notes in church. You're going to pay attention. And so Tasha Doherty starts passing me notes. Do you think I'm pretty? Check yes or no. And I'm thinking, what kind of question is this? Yes. Is it, do you want to go with me? Yeah, I don't know where we're going, but yes. Yes. I finally, it's like, look, any question you have, just mark S. Okay, yes. I mean, that's, 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 that's all you have to know. And so we passed notes all church. And, man, I'm talking love was blossoming that Sunday night. And then all of a sudden I look up because I'm thinking, oh, Pastor Davis which Glenn Davis will actually be here in, later in August. He's the guy I grew up under and is a, a mentor. I think Bob was getting some of the stories mixed up. Ra- Ralph Sykes has been very healthy for a while, and we praise God for that. <laughs> it, was, it was my old pastor, Glenn Davis, that had some issues. Uh, but he'll be with us later on in August. But, but uh, he was wrapping up his sermon, so I thought, ooh, I better look up because he's going to be calling the musicians up. But when I looked up, I had a look staring right at me. And it was Joyce Butler, my mama. And that look carried a mul- that look let me know that that love affair that had just blossomed had come to a quick death. 
<laughs> that look let me know. I was going to be sitting by mama for the next two months in church, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that look scared Tasha Doy. I don't think she has spoken to me to this day. I don't even know where she is. I think she left the church after that. I don't know. And uh, sure enough, that look also let me know that I was still going to be taking notes in church. It was going to be whatever the pastor was saying, and I would pass it to my mama to let her know I was listening. <laughs> so one look, that's all it took was one look. And... Uh, they communicated a whole lot. Guys, your wife can give you one look, and it can communicate whether you're going to be in the doghouse tonight. Or she can give you a look, and you, you may know that you may have some holy matrimony in your near future. One look. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. Your kids can give you looks, can't they? Any of y'all have kids that give you a little look? Let me tell you about Lily, my little eight-year-old. That girl can give some looks. She'll cut those eyes at you, and you just, girl, you better go on. People get stabbed for that. You know, <laughs> you don't look at me like that. I'm your dad. And uh, so, so that, a look can be empowering. I remember uh, I was about nine years old. I had been petrified of water. I'd, I'd try to take swimming lessons, and, and when I was about three years old, I, I actually there was an incident where I almost drowned. Uh, my sister saved my life. Um, I was scared to death of water after that. Nine years old, my parents wanted me to learn to swim, sent me to swim lessons, and about three days later, they sent me back and said, look, he doesn't need swim lessons. He needs therapy, okay? <laughs> Just, you know, you need to do something with this kid, and uh, so my dad, who was 22 years retired Army, uh, uh, had also been part of a swim team and diving team in his youth, actually took me up to the pool and worked with me for several days. Every day he took me up to the pool and, and just took time out. He was usually a really busy guy trying to provide for the family, but I, I remember uh, just that time I had with my dad. And he never talked much about his Army days. He, he went through Vietnam. He, he was part of uh, Army intelligence and probably saw a lot of stuff he just really didn't care to discuss afterwards. Uh, so I never, I always knew my dad as just really laid back, uh, a great con uh, confidant, a, a great counsel, and also uh, just one of the funniest human beings I've, I had ever been around. But I remember after a few days, he took me over to the deep end of the pool. He said, everything you've been doing over there, I want you to do right here. And I stood there looking at this, you know, 12 feet of water, and I, I remember just shaking you know, and tearing up because I was petrified. And I looked over at him. And for the first time, I didn't see him as my dad. I actually saw for the first time Chief Warrant Officer 2, George Thomas Butler Jr. And, and it was not, it was a look that he gave me that he had to have given the men that served under him at some time. And it was not a, it was not a forceful, condemning look. It was an empowering look. It was this look almost of, boy, you got this. I've, I've trained you. I've, I taught you everything you need to know. You've got this. And seeing my dad stand there like a drill sergeant, I don't know, it did something to me where my spine came back and straightened up. And I thought, you know what, I, I do have this. I've got this. Oh, excuse me, my, my cord's catching here. Uh, I do have this. And I jumped in and swam from the deep end all the way to the shallow end. And that was it. That's all I needed to see. And it was a look. It was a look that empowered me. It was a look that, that shifted something in me. It changed something in me and gave me all the confidence 
an ability that I knew, because it, it dawned on me, he had taught me everything, everything I needed to know to jump in and swim. And he believed in me, so I should believe in myself. So Gideon got a look, the Bible says. Now Gideon, you got to understand what was taking place in Israel at the time, because of their disobedience, God had allowed the Midianites and the Amalekites and all these guys to come in and, and just really start having their way with Israel. And they would come in and ruin their crops. And, and they would take all their oxen and all of their beasts of labor and, like, drag them away, steal them away, and just steal all their crops, steal their harvest, burn what was left year after year for seven years. And so now you've got Midian, who's scared to death. He's actually trying to thresh wheat over in a wine press. The reason why, number one, is he probably doesn't have an ox anymore. To, you know, usually you would thresh wheat, you'd bring the wheat in, let an ox walk across everything to, to break the husk up. Then you'd start throwing all of that up in the air, you'd start winnowing it, and, and the wind would carry away all of the husk, and the actual wheat, the meat of the wheat that you could cook with and everything else would fall to the ground. Well, he's trying to do this process in a wine press, so that if any Midianites would gaze into the valley and see him, They'd think, oh, he's just making wine. No use to coming down yet because he's just pressing it. It's going to be a while before it ferments, so we'll wait a while. So here he is hiding, trying to do something that the enemy can't see. And that's where some of us are today. You've got some goals and some dreams, and you're trying to work them, but you're trying to work them on the down low because you're scared that the enemy once more is going to come in and rob them. You're scared that someone's going to say something that discourages you. You're, going to say, you're, you're worried that someone is going to say something that's just going to derail you, so you're doing it on the down low. And all of a sudden, God shows up and calls him as he's hiding in a wine press, hey, you mighty man of valor. And he's, do you not see what I'm doing? Mighty man of valor. And he, and he also mouths off at God. If you remember our text, he says, okay, if you're on our side, then why are we going through everything that we're going through here? You know, my daddy always told me that you were a God of miracles, that you brought us out of Egypt. But for seven years now, we've been getting whooped up on by the Midianites. And then the Bible says, that God, verse 14, God looked at him. The Lord looked at him and said, no, I want you to go in the strength that you got. And you have to understand it's me that's sending you. And if you go on and read the story of Gideon, there was some phenomenal victory that took place. He started out with about 2,200 men. God said, no, 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 that's too many. I know you're going up against about 120,000, but even that's too many. So, so 22,000 wound up Finally, he shrunk it down to about 300 men. And he said, because when you're, when you're finished with this, you're going to know that it was me that brought you the victory. But still, something shifted in Gideon that got him out of the wine press and got him to rally a bunch of guys to go fight for their freedom. And it started with a look. I don't know what that look was, but it had to have been something similar to the look that I got from Chief Warrant Officer to George Thomas Butler Jr. Something that that told Gideon, and he even told him, he said, go in this thy might. Go ahead and go in the strength that you got and realize that it's me that's sending you. Gideon, you've already got everything you need to get the job done. I've placed it in you. Now just know that I've got confidence in you, so go. And if you go and study the story, this was a life-changing moment for Gideon when God looked at him. All it took was one look from God. 
Can I suggest that some of you that's been struggling with self-doubt, struggling with the attacks of the enemy, struggling with the, the way that life has been going, the God's giving you one look today. And if you would acknowledge it, it's an empowering look. It's a look that's going to tell you that you already possess everything that you need to be as victorious as you need to be, to be the greatest version of you that he ever created. And he's given it to you, and it's activated by the Holy Spirit that's alive and well in you that you received at the time you, that you had faith in Christ. Matter of fact, you can't even take credit for the faith. The Bible says that he gave you the faith to have faith in him. So he's already given you everything you need to be as victorious as you need to be. And he's empowering you with a look today. Hagar. Hagar knew all about that look. Y'all remember the story of Hagar? Hagar was a slave girl uh, owned by Sarah, was probably an Egyptian slave girl. Most historians predict that she was about 15, 16 years old. Uh, she was probably picked up by Sarah. Uh, when Abraham and Sarah began their nomadic journey heading to the promised land, they would make different stops. They would come into a place where there was a ruler, and the ruler would find Sarah extremely attractive. And Abraham was scared to death that he would get killed so that the ruler could take his wife. And so to spare his life, they came up with this ruse. Since they were actually half brother and sister, Abraham would say, oh, this girl, yeah, 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 she's my sister. So the, the ruler was like, well, I want to take her for my wife. So he'd go and have her begin to be prepared to take her for his wife. And probably these rulers would give her money and give her servants and all this. And then God would show up in a dream or something and say, you better not touch that girl. That's Abraham's wife. Then the ruler would call Abraham in and say, what, are you trying to kill me? You know, get out of here. Y'all get off my land. Matter of fact, just look, keep everything I gave you. Just go, 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 go. And so probably Hagar is a result of one of those events. So here you have a 15, 16-year-old girl that is taken from her land of Egypt where she was already a slave. And then all of a sudden, she's now with this nomadic tribe, a very wealthy nomadic tribe. And somewhere along the way, God promised Abraham and Sarah a, uh, a child. And he said, Abraham, you're going to... You're going to be uh, the father of many nations. Abraham and Sarah were both up in age. <laughs> they kind of laughed about it. Well, when God didn't do it according to their timing, Sarah decided to get this great idea and says, look, why don't you take Hagar? She's young. She's pretty. She's of childbearing age. Why don't you go have a child by her? And that way we can raise it and we'll just help God out. So think of Hagar. All of a sudden, 15, 16 years old, slave girl, and you're told, oh, by the way, you know, my husband who's in his 80s is going to come and try to impregnate you. Thank you very much. So she has no say in it. Then all of a sudden, once the deed is done, Sarah becomes very jealous. Well, she can't take it out on Abraham because that wasn't the pecking order of the day. And so she takes it out on Hagar, starts beating her relentlessly, whoops that girl so bad that she takes off. She's like, I'm out of here. I'm on the run. So now Hagar is a, an escaped slave who already doesn't have any rights, and now she's on the run, so there's probably a manhunt from Abraham's tribe looking for her. She's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, un, unprotected. God forbid she'd get picked up by slave traders, or worse yet, nomads that are going to take her, an abuser, raper, torturer, all that stuff. So here she is hiding by a well. She finds a wellspring where she can at least get something to drink. On the run for her life, she went from bad to worse. She is not in a good position. An escaped slave on the run. 
and she's probably going to get killed if they find her, or at least beaten severely. And then God shows up, says, Hagar, what are you doing? Well, she tells him the story, and he goes, oh, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Abraham's camp. She said, are you crazy? They're going to they're gonna beat me. He goes, no, this is why. You're actually carrying Abraham's child now. You're carrying his firstborn son. You're going to call his name Ishmael. And he's going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless him. He's going to be at war and enmity with a lot of his brothers, but he's still going to prosper. And actually to this day, if you look at all the Arabic nations and Persia, well, that's, that actually is Ishmael's seed. And that there have, they, they've been at war and they've been at odds with all their brothers over in the Middle East all these years. But at the same time, some of the greatest advancements in human civilization came from the Persian Empire and the Ottoman Empire. God and, and some of the greatest wealth in the nation resides amongst the Arabs. Why? And that's a promise that God spoke over Hagar, an incredible prophecy. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he, Hagar gets the strength to go back. Why? Because in one moment's time, she encountered God, and this is what she said. She gave God a name. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You looked at me. And when you looked at me, I went from being the lowest person on the planet to the most protected person on the planet. Because you have to understand what happened to her fortune when she realized that she was pregnant with Ishmael. She all of a sudden went from being the lowest person to the top person in the pecking order in Abraham's camp, even probably placed above Sarah, because there is no way Abraham is going to let the mother of his child, the mother that is carrying his firstborn son, be abused. Get back in here, Hagar. All your needs are met. You're carrying my child. What tent would you like to sleep in? Come on up to the top of the cafeteria line. You pick out any amount of food you want. You get the freshest fruit. You get the most medical care. Now you have your insurance paid for. Anything you need, Hagar, it's yours because you are carrying my child. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. So in one moment's time, her whole world changed fortune. And it happened when God looked at her. You saw me. You saw me. When you looked at me, everything changed. I realized I was already carrying everything I needed to change my life, to turn it around. I, I was on the run, but I didn't know that I had this seed in me. I didn't know that I was carrying this child. Some of you have been on the run from various things in life, and you didn't realize that God has already placed something in you that he's trying to birth that's going to change your life and turn you around in one instant. And you'll realize that if you'll understand, he gazes at you right now. Matter of fact, I love this. Verse 14, therefore the well, the well that she was sitting beside is now called Bier Lehei Roi. And it gives the location of where it's at. That's Hebrew. Bier Lehei Roi means the well of the God who looks at me. It had such a strong impact that in order to remember what God did for her, she named a well after it. The well of the God who looks at me. Now that gets me excited when we talk about wells because Jesus talked about a well one time. Jesus actually said, he, he sat down and asked the lady at a well for some water and she, or she offered some water to him and he said, you know, if, if, if you understood who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And she said, but you don't even have a pot to draw water with. What are you talking about? And he said, no, no, no. The water that I'm offering, whoever drinks of it will never thirst again. 
And then he goes on to say, but whosoever, this is John chapter 4, verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the well that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well, everyone say well, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. God has placed, not only has he looked at you, but via the Holy Spirit, he has placed a well inside of you that's full of living water springing up into everlasting life. And can I suggest that in the spirit that that well has a name inside each and every one of you, you have your own Bier Lehei Roi, your very own well of the God who looks at me. So you never have to go a day and not realize that God is looking at you. God sees you. And it's an empowering look. It's a look of confidence. It's a look that says, child, I have placed everything in you for you to be victorious today, for you to be an overcomer today, for you to be everything I need you to be for my kingdom. And it doesn't matter what circumstance comes along. It doesn't matter what, what you face, what giant you may face. You've got what it takes to be what I have called you to be. The book of Psalms says that the eyes of the Lord gaze upon those who obey him. Man, he's looking at us. And it's not a look of condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not a look of disappointment. It's not a look of anger. It's not a look of, 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 of irritation. But it's a look that will get you out of your wine press. Let's all stand. It will get you out of your wine press and into the battlefield for your freedom and for your liberation. As the musicians come, Father, I thank you so much because you look at us in so much confidence, in so much love, and in so much uh, belief. Father, you know how you've created us exactly in your image. And you know how you've empowered us with your spirit and how you've cleansed us with your blood. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. Help us to believe the way that you believe in us. We thank you. If there's anyone here while you got your eyes closed and your head bowed, if there's anyone here and you say, you know what? Hey, I receive what you have to say, and, 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 and I just want you to pray over me to, that, I, that I can take this and allow this word to bear fruit this week. I want to get out of my, my wine press of hiding and into my battlefield of victory. I just need someone, someone to agree with me. I just need someone to say yes and amen with me. While everyone's heads bowed, every eyes closed, just raise your hand. And we'll all pray together here in a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all pray one more time. Father, I thank you for those that raised their hand. Lord, I speak divine confidence into their life and into their heart to remind them that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. All those who rise up against us shall fall. That you take care of your children and that nothing, nothing, nothing that has come across our path has caught you off guard. And that if you have permitted if you have permitted something to cross our path, it's not for our destruction, but it's for our own growth. So we thank you for the victory that's going to come from this. 
and we thank you for your gaze of love and confidence and knowing that yes, yes, we can be everything that you have called us to be. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise him with one last song before we leave today.